Welcome to the Grace Point Podcast, a ministry of Grace Point Church for Scythe in Cumming, Georgia. To find out more about Grace Point Church, you can go to our website at gpcga.org. That's gpcga.org. Well, we are done with the book of Mark. For now, we may come back to it, you know, eight years or so. And we are moving on to a study in the book of Hebrews. This study is called Jesus is Better. We're going to be looking at Hebrews over the course of the next several months. And so we're going to start in Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. You can find this on page 1001 in the blue pew Bibles in front of you. Or if you would like a larger print Bible, we have some red ones in the back, and it's on page 1187 on, in that Bible. As you turn there, I want to remind you of a couple of things. First of all, just want to keep in the forefront of your mind that Camp K is going on. This coming week is the middle school week, so be praying for the middle schoolers and the staff. We are anticipating the, the week break that comes in the middle of the summer, which will be after this week. Continue to pray for the staff, for the leaders, for the, the students that go through, that the Spirit would just be working mightily. Also want to remind you that in the back we've got two things that are free to take. One is a notebook for you to take notes in or to use as a prayer journal, however you want to do this. But we would love to see you take notes over the sermons. Not because anything I have to say is fantastic, but because the Holy Spirit works through the Word. And so as the Holy Spirit teaches you about who Jesus is, use that opportunity to take those notes and to be reminded of it throughout the week of who Jesus is. And we also have these little cards in the back, which are great opportunities to invite people to worship, to invite people to church. This gives the information for the church as a QR code for people who want to learn more. Uh, I handed out one of these uh, one week. I was standing at Panera at the checkout line, and I had just given one to somebody um, near the restrooms. And the next thing I know, as I'm looking at the menu, somebody comes up to me, and he's like, hey, how come there's not more Bible studies? And I was like, whoa, these things work. I think sometimes when we hand things out like this, we forget that people will actually look at them. And so he had scanned it, and he wanted to look for Bible study opportunities. So that was a big encouragement to me. You may not ever see any of the people you invite to church uh, come, but by handing these cards out, you're reminding them that you're thinking about them, that you're praying for them, and you're reminding them that there are churches out there. Maybe they already belong to one, and you encourage them to go back to that church. So take advantage of the opportunities in the back on that shelf. We've got the notebooks and we have the cards. Now that you've turned to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, please stand for the reading of God's word. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, that is Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of 
on high. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the opportunity we have to study it. We thank you for Jesus. And we pray that as we dive deep into Hebrews, you will show us over and over and over and over again that Jesus is better. It's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It is easy in today's world to get discouraged and frustrated. There's a lot of reasons to do this. It could be work and the stresses that are at work, or we could get discouraged at home and the patterns that are developed there that we don't like. Sometimes it even happens that we get discouraged in our faith because we are reflecting on our sins and how we feel stuck or stagnant. And when we get discouraged, we want to give up or quit. We feel like there's no hope, and so we stop trying. But as believers, we have to remember and it doesn't matter how discouraged we are or what is going on in our life, no matter what situation has struck us or how many bad things have piled on, we can have confidence, joy, contentment, and faith because Jesus is seated at God's right hand. Jesus has secured our atonement. That means he has purchased our salvation for us. And because of that, we can rejoice. Paul says in Romans 6, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the gospel in one verse, one simple verse. Last week you heard uh, Dave talk about Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, which does a bigger job of expanding the beauty of that gospel. But the truth of the matter is this. We are wretched sinners. On our own work, on our own effort, we can't do it. But God being rich in mercy, sent his son to live the life we should have lived, to die the death that we actually deserve, rose again from the grave and ascended to be at God's right hand. And we are going to explore all those things in the book of Hebrews. You may be asking yourself, who is this Christ? What has he done? What does it matter that I believe in him? That's why we're studying Hebrews. Because throughout the book of Hebrews, we see Jesus. Hebrews focuses on Jesus and shows us the many different ways that Jesus is better. From the beginning to the end of Hebrews, we see the work that Christ has done and the work that Christ continues to do. And speaking on this particular section, author Klink says this, as the biblical story leaves the Old Testament and enters the New, the purposes of God's creation project are made manifest in the person and work of Jesus Christ. What God began in the Garden of Eden in Genesis, in God's perfect providence, has always been intended to be fulfilled by Jesus, the true gardener in the Garden of Easter. The advent of Jesus gives even greater clarity to God's creation project. 
God's creation project is made known through Jesus Christ. With the coming of Jesus, what was concealed in the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. And then he quotes verses 1, 2, and 3 of Hebrews. And he says about verses 1, 2, and 3, such a statement not only explains the plot development from the Old to the New Testament, but does so from the perspective of God's creation narrative. And then another author, Alexander, says this, while the author of Hebrews is especially concerned to explain how Jesus Christ fulfills his royal and priestly roles, as the unique priest-king after the manner of Melchizedek, he does not ignore the divine dimension of Jesus' sonship. He introduces this at the outset of his letter in verses 1 through 3. And what is one of the most striking affirmations concerning Jesus Christ in the New Testament? The author of Hebrews emphasizes the pre-incarnate existence of Jesus. Both of these authors are zeroing in on how Christ is better. And they both use these three verses to begin us on that journey in Hebrews. So why study Hebrews? We study Hebrews because it's about Jesus. We study Hebrews because it was written to people like us, people who are struggling with trials and temptations. You could contend that their trials and temptations were even harder when you look at chapter 10 and see that they were under persecution. But they are like us. They're facing the trials of this world. Now, before we read in a book, we like to remind ourselves that when reading Scripture, context is king. king. Yes had somebody very disappointed that I didn't say that at my last sermon. <laughs> context is king. We want to know who wrote the letter, who they write it to, what was the purpose of the letter, what's the context, you know, what are we looking for in the letter? And Hebrews is a very unique letter in that it's kind of hard to answer some of those questions. We don't actually know the specific audience to whom the author was writing. We just know that they were suffering under persecution. We see that in chapter 10. And we know that they were Jewish Christians, because of the way that the Old Testament is connected to the New. We also don't know who wrote it. Now, it was once universally thought that Paul wrote the letter, but that has changed to where it's not as universal anymore because there's a different style and, and it doesn't flow or read like Paul's other letters. But whoever wrote it, and to whoever they wrote it to, they sought to encourage that audience to remain faithful and to persevere in the midst of hardship because of Jesus. They didn't write Hebrews to be a pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps, moralistic instruction on how to act better and how to earn your salvation. No, the whole time they are pointing the audience to Jesus. Jesus' ministry and the effects of that ministry on us. Many commentators believe that you can find the main theme of Hebrews in chapter 8, verse 1. Another point in what we are saying is this. We have such a great high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Jesus has done what we need done. Jesus died once and for all. Jesus established the new and better covenant, and Jesus is now seated at God's right hand and continuing to pray for us. 
And so today, as we open this book, as we open this text, as we open this letter, we're going to see how the author begins. I mentioned that Paul, the, the style is not similar to Paul, because Paul, Paul usually starts with greetings and you know, talks about how he's been praying for them. But here, the author of Hebrews goes right in to Jesus and his glory. Because that is what we need first. And so as we look at chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we're going to see, number one, Christ is better than the prophets. Number two, Christ is God's glorious Son. And number three, Christ has atoned for our sins. I really appreciated that breakdown, that Christ is better than the prophets, Christ is God's glorious Son, and Christ has atoned for our sins uh, which is the outline that Dr. McWilliams gave, one of the commentators. So let's start by looking at how Christ is better than the prophets in verses 1 through 2a. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. <coughs> Excuse me. So we start with some incredible affirmations and truths. The first thing we see in Hebrews 1 is that God is the author of the Old Testament through the prophets. God spoke. Now, some of us are like, oh, yeah, well, of course, we, you know, we know that, and we know God did that, but it's important to remember that. The prophets, the old, the new, the entire scriptures are by God. And it's interesting because if we step back and think for a minute, God has always wanted to speak to us. <coughs> Excuse me. God spoke to Adam face to face in the garden. God spoke to his people through the prophets in the Old Testament after the fall where he couldn't be face to face with them anymore. God spoke to the people in the New Testament through Christ and his disciples. And now God speaks to us through the word. In verse 1, we see this phrase, long ago, at many times, and in many ways. And this harkens us back to Numbers chapter 12. One of the beautiful things about the book of Hebrews is that it is filled with references to the Old Testament. I know most people don't like or understand the Old Testament or think it's too difficult, but I love the Old Testament. Because without the Old Testament, the New Testament just really doesn't matter that much. And so the author of Hebrews goes back to Numbers chapter 12 in verses 6 and 7, and we read this. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses, for he is faithful in all my house. And so God will speak through visions. God will speak through dreams. God will speak through face-to-face -face with Moses. There's a lot of different ways that God speaks to and through the prophets. But it's really important for us to recognize that despite those many different ways, it is a unified message. The focus in the Old Testament is the work and the person of Christ. Now, hang on. That doesn't sound right, James. We don't see Jesus until the New Testament. 
Well, we've talked about this before. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we have the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel where God promises that a Savior will come. And that's what the Old Testament is. It's building us up towards Jesus who will come and fulfill all those things. All the things we see in the Old Testament that the people need will find their fulfillment in Jesus. Guthrie takes his own take on the point of the letter, and he says, this is the real theme of the whole letter. The past has given way to better things. The past has given way to better things. The Old Testament has given way to Jesus. Now, the audience that uh, the author of Hebrews is writing to, and by the way, us, the audience is living in the last days. That's what we read in here, these last days. The last days are the time between Christ's first and second coming. Another author, Brannon, writes this. When the first coming of the, with the first coming of the Messiah, the last days have begun. God's promises and prophecies of a restored relationship with God, a return to God's presence, the eschatological kingdom of God, and the resurrection begin to unfold with the first coming of Jesus Christ. But they will be consummated. They will not be consummated until Jesus' second coming. God's program of redemption continues to be drawn out and yet progresses towards its goal. These are the last days when we are seeing that gospel starting to play itself out and we are working our way towards the day when Christ comes back. Martin Luther said this, speaking of whether or not we should listen to uh, Christ. He says, if the word of the prophets has been received, that is, if we believe the Old Testament, the gospel of Christ should be received all the more, since it's not a prophet who is speaking, but the Lord of prophets. Not a slave, but a son. Not an angel, but God. Not to the fathers, but to us. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Christ is better than the prophets. And since we trust and believe and listen to the prophets and what God says through them, how much more should we trust and listen and believe to Christ, or in Christ? So we've looked at Christ as better than the prophets. Let's take a look at Christ as God's glorious Son. We see the rest of verse 2 and then the beginning of verse 3. Uh, he's talking about Jesus, whom he appointed, the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by word of his power. So the author of Hebrews begins by showing us how Christ is better than the prophets, but he doesn't stop there. Now he shows us that Christ is God's son. Remember, as we went through the book of Mark, that was one of the things we said every week. We see Christ as God's son. We see Christ as he teaches the gospel. We see Christ as he disciples. Christ is God's son. In order to know God, we can look at Christ. 
And the author points out five things here in this short section about Jesus. Number one, he is the appointed heir. Christ is the appointed heir. This is the second half of verse two. Whom he appointed the heir of all things. That means Christ is the owner of all things. Christ, in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, became the inheritor of all things. Westcott says, the word heir marks the original purpose of creation. The dominion originally promised to Adam in Genesis 1.28, compared to Psalm 8, was gained by Christ. We see Paul say this in Romans, that Adam was supposed to be obedient and was promised an heir, or was promised to be the heir. But because of his failure, now Christ is that heir and a better heir, the one who inherits all that Adam was to inherit. Not only is Christ the appointed heir, but Christ is the creator, through whom also he created the world. The author of Hebrews tells us that through Christ, God created all things. Listen, Christ is not a mere creature because creatures cannot create But Jesus, with God, created all things. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. This is just a few pages back, about 20 pages back in the Blue Pew Bibles. Colossians, written by Paul to the churches at Colossae. In verse 1, or chapter 1, we see verses 15, 16, and 17. We're just going to read 16 and 17 right now because we're thinking about Christ as creator. 16 and 17 of Colossians chapter 1. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he, that is Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Paul tells the Colossians, Christ is the creator, and all creation is for him, and all creation is held together by him. We see something similar in the very beginning of the, the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You remember in the book of John, Word stands for Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Christ is not only the appointed heir, but Christ is the creator of all things. Then the author goes on in verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God. What a wonderful description of Jesus. McWilliams says, The writer is referencing who the Son is, essentially, in his very nature. God's glory is the beauty of his perfections, his excellencies, his moral purity, the effulgence of his divine attributes. The word apagasma, which is a Greek word, used only here in the New Testament, can mean refulgence. That is, that the sun reflects God's brightness or refulgence, meaning a ray from the original light. The language stresses the oneness of the sun with the Father, 
consistent with which is the exalted language of the Nicene Creed. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He shines forth just like God. God of God, light of light, very God of very God. So Jesus is the appointed heir. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. And then we see that Jesus is also the exact imprint of God's image. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is a manifestation of God's nature. Again, in Colossians 1, in verse 15, Paul says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is the appointed heir. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Jesus is the exact imprint of God's image. And Jesus is the cosmic sustainer. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is not just somebody, some good teacher, some guy. He is all these things. That word upholds means he preserves and governs the universe as only God can. He preserves and governs the universe as only God can. The author of Hebrews shows his readers that Christ is God's Son. Jesus is the appointed heir. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Jesus is the exact imprint of God's image. Jesus is the cosmic sustainer. So we looked at how Jesus is better than the prophets and how Jesus is God's glorious Son. Now let's look at how Jesus has atoned for our sins. This is the rest of verse 3. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So we've seen Jesus' glory. We've seen not only is he better than the prophets, but also he is God's son and all those things. But what's even more amazing is that not only are these characteristics of Jesus, but that he became flesh and died for us. He's not some God that just sits out in nowhere and we're not relatable to. But he did what we could not do. He became flesh. He atoned or he paid for our sins. This is what we were talking about when we said in Romans 6 and Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, Jesus did what we could not do. Well, what is sin? Westminster Shorter Catechism says, sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. That means either we're not listening to what God tells us to do or we're doing what God tells us not to do. And we do that all the time, every day, regularly. If you can hear my voice, you've sinned today. You can tell this isn't a happy, clappy message. And if it was up to us to deal with that sin that we commit every day, 
we would be in trouble because we can't. But God sends Jesus to do that for us. Sin is a major problem that has to be dealt with. Now, more often than not, as people claiming to be Christians, we don't want to talk about sin. We don't want to think about sin. Uh, When I moved here, I was told that uh, Ralph, the planting pastor, had met with a guy who was going to help him make the church explode in growth. And the second time they met, the guy said, okay, so here's the first thing you have to know. You can't talk about sin because people don't want to feel bad. And if you talk about sin, people won't come. And Ralph was like, oh, no, 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 we're done. So many people don't want to hear about the problem that they have, the sin that they have, and the fact that it has to be dealt with. But if we don't know our sin, if we don't understand how sinful we are, then there is no glory in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Because if we don't understand how awful our sin is and how it separates us from God and how we can do nothing about it, then the good news of Jesus' gospel that he lived, died, resurrected, and ascended on our behalf and is right now praying for us, that doesn't matter. It's only when we understand our sin. It's only when we understand how sinful we are. It's only when we understand that we cannot do anything about it that the glorious good news of the gospel comes to light and shines brightly. Yes, we can't do anything about it, but Jesus did. And because Jesus did, because Jesus dealt with our sin, we are sons and daughters of the King. Once we see our sin and repent, we can rejoice because we know Jesus has dealt with it. He doesn't just deal with what we've already done. He has dealt already with what we will do. And while we can't do anything to deal with our sin, all our works won't help. There's no need for repeated sacrifice as as they did in the Old Testament because that won't work either. But Jesus died once and for all. His sacrifice was perfect. His sacrifice was complete. Praise the Lord! Now you're all awake. Look, none of us can meet the law that God demands, but Jesus did it for us. And now he is seated at the right hand of God. And it's important that we look at what this says. He is seated. That means his work of atonement, his work of dealing with our sin is done. He's not in action anymore. He's not walking. He's not still doing things. He is seated. Our atonement is done. And he's not just seated somewhere in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God. The right hand was a place of power next to the ruler. Christ was humbled, came down to live a life like us, did what he needed to do for our salvation, and now he is exalted. He is with God. Dave McWilliams says this, Jesus now sits on the right hand of the majesty on high, which in sum is, one, the place of power from which he reigns. Two, the place of reward from which position no one and nothing can take from him his purchased people. Three, the place of completion, demonstrating that the atonement is completed once and for all. Four, and as Hebrews will emphasize, the place of intercession for his own. The 
these verses are a great comfort for us because his atonement, his death on our behalf, paying for our sins is done. He is seated there and reigns with God. And what he has earned for us, our reward because of who he is, cannot be taken away, cannot be undone. That's amazing. And it's not lacking in anything. So we've seen that Christ is better than the prophets. We've seen that Christ is God's glorious son. We've seen that Christ has atoned for our sins. So now what? As David McWilliams says, the writer is saying to those who were tired, worn out, and tempted to turn back, get your eyes off yourself and on your Savior. The Son is superior to the prophets. The Son is the appointed heir. The Son is the creator. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. The Son is the exact imprint of God's nature. The Son is the cosmic sustainer. The Son is the atonement for sin. The Son is the exalted high priest. The Son is the exalted priest who also is king, having sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. See him. Don't waver. Be constant in faith and hope. Persevere. Run the race. Keep moving toward your heavenly home, no matter the opponents or the obstacles. The author of Hebrews is writing to people who are frustrated, tired, worn out. And the first thing he tells them is how glorious Jesus is. How Jesus is better. Our call to worship this morning came from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We're looking ahead, spoiler alert. And there we read this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder of and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Chapter 11 is what's known as the Hall of Faith, where we see many Old Testament heroes of the faith. And then the author in chapter 12 says, when we look at them, because we see them, because they surround us, and because Christ is better than all of them, let us lay aside our weight, let us lay aside our sin, and let us run with endurance the race marked out before us. In the NIV, it doesn't say looking to Jesus, it says fix your eyes on Jesus, this glorious Christ. We're called to persevere in the faith and run the race. Fix your eyes on Jesus, persevere in the faith, run the race at home. Fix your eyes on Jesus, persevere in the faith, run the race at work. Fix your eyes on Jesus, persevere in the faith, run the race in easy times and hard times, in times where things are going well and in times of temptation. Fix your eyes on Jesus, persevere in the faith, and run the race. The author starts the letter by focusing on Jesus. When we are stressed or discouraged, 
Don't listen to the world because the world focuses on you. Maybe you've heard that saying recently. You do you. I got to be honest, I hate that saying. Because you know who it puts on the throne? You. It's not what we are supposed to do. The author of Hebrews doesn't say, you do you. Jesus will take care of things. No, the author of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus. The author of Hebrews calls us to look to Christ. So when we're discouraged, when we're stressed, and when times are going well, look to Jesus. Because Jesus is better. Let's pray. Father, it's, it's not easy to do as the author exhorts us to do. It's not easy to look to Jesus. Our sinful hearts want to trust ourselves and run to you only when we're in trouble. The world around us says you do you and tells us that we should just do whatever we want. But Father, we pray that you would help us as your sons and daughters to not only hear the author of Hebrews, but to obey his exhortation to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the scorn set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame. Raise our gaze, Father. Help us to stop looking at ourselves. Help us to stop looking in the mirror. Help us to stop looking at the horizontal and to fix our eyes on Jesus. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. We pray that you are drawn closer to God and encouraged to be in the Word. If you have any questions, please reach out to us at gpcga.org. That's gpcga.org.